Hi, and welcome to today's episode. Before we jump right in, I wanted to just to quickly come in and say hi, I'm Adriana. And if you could please hit subscribe to this podcast, if you have listened to my other ones, and you've enjoyed some of the resources that I put out there. And if you could also kindly rate this podcast, I would love a five star review, but you know, you rate it as you feel I have earned. So if you could please subscribe and submit a review and share this with anyone that you feel would benefit from family chemotherapy podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, where we discuss ways to cope through a pediatric cancer diagnosis. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Hello, I am back for another episode. I want to talk today with you about EMDR therapy. You guys have been hearing me talk about EMDR therapy now for a while. I finally, so EMDR therapy was always on my radar. When I was an undergrad, more than a decade ago, I started doing research on trauma. That was, it's always been my passion, just PTSD, trauma, and um, helping people heal from PTSD, um, you know, throughout whatever experiences that they've had. So I came across EMDR in grad school and found it really fascinating and saw the science behind it. There was a lot of research done, how helpful EMDR had been with war veterans and seeing how EMDR was beginning to be applied in other contexts like childhood sexual abuse, rape survivors, um, people with what we call complex PTSD, just EMDR was being applied in various situations. And there was a lot of success in helping people overcome um, the PTSD aspect of it, no longer having severe PTSD symptoms. And it was something that was on my radar. I did not, um, it took me forever to finish my internship because as soon as I graduated, I got married and then I started having babies. And then, um, I had tested for, um, my licensure and I passed and I had to finish doing my, what was it? 3000 hours of internship. And when you are married, have a full-time job, not in the world of therapy. I was working in the insurance world at that time. And I started doing the work, um, towards the, the licensure hours. It took me a long time. And then I started having babies and it just seemed to drag out. You have like five years in Texas, at least when I was going through it, you have five years to finish those 3000 hours. Um, I basically <laughs> took almost the entire five years, uh, because I was juggling a lot of different things. I mean, to be honest, I almost got to the point where I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I just, I'm never going to finish. Um, and I'm so glad that my husband was like, finish it. <laughs> Don't give up. And, um, cause it did, it got really challenging to finish. Uh, so then I started having babies and then, um, I had three kids and by the time, 
I had finally started my practice, my private practice. I finished off. Um, I ended up having um, my third child. And after my third child, it took me a little bit longer to plan on going back. And then within that time frame, my brother passed away when my youngest was four months old, my brother passed away and I dealt with the grief from that. And I was like, I'm not ready to go back to work. I just have a newborn. I'm barely, I barely have time to process this traumatic event in my life. Like that was traumatic for me. You know, I know people are like, oh, people just throw the word trauma around. Well, it was traumatic for me. Um, it was very unexpected. I watched my brother on a ventilator on life support and, you know, seeing him fight for his life and that sense of hope that I had that he would overcome this and he would wake up and then suddenly he did not wake up and he actually took a turn for the worse and he passed away. Um, that was really traumatic having to say goodbye to my brother and walking out of that hospital that day. Um, the day that we knew he was no longer with us, he was declared brain dead. And when I walked out of the hospital that day, I just remember that feeling of I'm leaving my loved one here. And it was so different than the moment that I walked out of the hospital being a mom. Like I, I cried when I walked out of the hospital with my brand new newborn baby, first time, you know, baby that I had. And I remember thinking I'm different. The woman that walked in through those doors is the, is a different person. And now I'm a mom and now I have a baby and I'm just different. Um, there was a little, it's not that it was like grief, but like the recognition of like, I'm different. My mom, or I'm a mom and I am leaving this hospital, a different person. And then just the similar thought that came to my mind when I walked out the door and saw, um, or knew that my brother was gone, that he was dead. He was declared dead and there was nothing that we could do. And it was a matter of days before we would um, donate his organs and walking out of the hospital that day, it was like, this is it. Like I'm different. The person that I walked in being is no longer the same person. And a lot of that was, you know, dealing with the fact that I, I was his big sister. I was his, one of his best friends and he was one of mine. And like, I've always taken care of him. Um, even in college, he lived with me. So my role as a big sister changed and he was the baby. So I was one of five. I, um, there was five kids in my family. I was number four. My brother who passed away was five. So I was no longer somebody's big sister. Right. And it's just, a. I remember feeling like I'm no, I'm just different. And then not realizing how different because the person that walked in through that door had so much faith and hope and um, just, yeah, faith that he would overcome this. And spiritually, like my relationship with God was at a different place. And then after that, things changed and then grief was there and processing that traumatic experience. Like it took a little bit for me to like make sense of it all. Um, there were lots of months that I just sat there kind of numb. Like I would numb out. I would just zone out, stare out the window and get caught in my own head and think and think. And, um, 
you know, try not to lose it in front of my kids and uh, try to keep it together, but still like allowing myself to grieve um, and, and process that experience. So um, that story being told during the time I was processing that grief, I had finally gotten to a place where I was like, I think I'm ready to go back to work. It took me a long time, like a long time. And I think, I don't know if it was just grief plus being, you know, having had a new newborn child when my brother passed away and just, um, adjusting to life and what that experience meant for me and what that would mean for me as a professional. Um, it took me some time and then I decided to go back to work. It was like, oh, it was over a year later. And after a year, I, um, went back to work. I went and, you know, I had clients call me and they're like, we really need to talk to you. And it's been a while. And, um, I was like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll go back. I'll, I'll come see you guys. Right. Um, touch base. And then after that, I was like, yeah, I can handle this. I'm ready to come back. I am ready. Uh, and then basically that week, uh, I'm not even kidding. It was that week. My son was diagnosed with cancer and then it was like full stop. And then it was a shock to me in terms of like, what does this mean? Right? Like, is my child going to make it is, am I going to be a therapist after this? Like, what if my child doesn't make it? Like, would I be able to come back and be a therapist for somebody else? I just don't know. Don't know what this is going to look like for me in the future, but I know that right now I have to stop seeing clients because I am going to be the caregiver. I'm going to be at a hospital and every week. And so I didn't, you know, didn't do therapy during that time, but I was doing a lot of research and, um, maybe not like clinical one-on-one -on -one with people, even though in that world, you still kind of do that because, you know, once you're a therapist, it's hard not to be that. <laughs> um, but during that time, I basically, um, put my life on hold. Um, I was very fortunate that I was able to squeeze in through my road trips to and from Dallas and Houston. I was able to squeeze in my CEUs, my, you know, continuing education, uh, because those were about to be due, of course, right? When it's like when it rains, it pours and everything's due all at the same time. And you're just like literally juggling a thousand plates at a time or balls. I guess you could juggle balls too, right? Um, who juggles plates? I do apparently. But I ended up um, putting a lot of stuff on hold just to kind of figure out what I wanted to do if I would ever go back to counseling. And once I came back, I started, you know, once my son was okay and he finished his treatment, then it was a matter of like processing what I've been through and then trying to figure out how to return and who I wanted to work with. And finally, long story short, <laughs> I took you through like the whole, um, yeah, through my whole life story apparently. But basically I ended up going, finally doing the training I wanted to do, which was EMDR. EMDR training, um, I'm not an EMDR certified therapist yet, uh, it's something definitely that's on my radar, but EMDR trained, um, it, we're not going to get into the nuances, but basically there's just some, a little bit of additional, like maybe supervision and some more continuing education, but I've been doing that. Um, I've got plenty of continuing education because I dove in deep into the EMDR world, um, in the past year. And, um, there's just 
Yeah. So I've been working with my clients doing EMDR and it's just something that I, it's just been a game changer and doing the training itself made me take a look at my personal life in a completely different way and realizing, oh my gosh, this is what they meant by EMDR. Like, you know, people hear about this like wonky, okay, we're going to do this eye reprocessing thing where you just, eye movement where you, I can't talk. Eye movement reprocessing um, where you sit there and you follow somebody's finger right? Or you follow a light or you have these buzzers or whatever it is, like, you know, the bilateral stimulation of tapping. There's different ways that you can do the bilateral stimulation, but most people are like, oh yeah, after some tapping, you know, that was my EMDR. It was weird. It was crazy, but super helpful. It sounds like this crazy magical thing, right? Um, Nobody can really explain it until you go through the actual training and understand like, oh, this is what EMDR is. This is how it works to see it actually worked on with somebody because we practice um, as clinicians, we practice with each other. Uh, so we're bringing up some of our own stuff and processing that with another clinician. Um, it was just really, it was a game changer for me. And it's definitely something that I am very passionate about. I do like, I want to continue to dive down that rabbit hole, but is it a rabbit hole or a rabbit trail? If you don't know, English is my second language. And you think by now I would know all these idioms, but I don't. (laughs) So (laughs) you'll hear me say them all sorts of jacked up. Um, so forgive me, but you know, English is my second language. I will always use that as my excuse, even though I've been speaking this language for well over 30 years. Um, so EMDR, if I can explain it to you in the most, I guess I'm trying not to complicate this because it it really is a matter of like doing the work when you begin to understand what it actually means. But yes, EMDR is about exploring trauma or even just negative beliefs. Like when we experience an event, we could be traumatic. It could be just impactful, right? And something that you remember as a childhood, it's not even like traumatic. It's just something that you remember. But when we experience life, I like to use the analogy of like, memories are not just a picture, like a snapshot picture. It Memories are almost like this full sensory movie. Like you can think of a memory and think of that memory in movie clips. And as you think of that memory in a movie clip, you begin to feel emotions. You begin, your body has stored an emotion with this memory. So oftentimes when you're talking about like when you were at your grandparents' funeral or, you know, when you saw somebody pass away or whatever, like something that um, even more traumatic, right? Sexual trauma, whatever, like you view that memory as a movie, but your body is also responding to it because your body has a memory attached, like its own memory, like muscle memory is attached to the actual memory, like the visual memory of it. And with that, we experience this memory full sensory. And we begin, 
we don't even realize that when we recorded that memory, we recorded it with being able to recall how we, like what we were smelling, what we saw, what we felt, like physically felt, what we visual or mentally felt, like, you know, emotionally felt. Um, And then on top of that, having a belief, like this subconscious belief that we adapt to that particular memory. So let's see if I can give an example. Um, There would be an example of a kid um, who had a parent who was constantly in and out. And kid says, I really would love for you to sit down and play with me. And the parent's like, I'm actually not able to, I'm I'm going, I need to go do this activity. And let's say that person does that repeatedly throughout their life. And the way that they felt in that moment, it was, I'm not loved or I'm unlovable or something's wrong with me. Right. I'm not saying that happens to everybody, but I'm just trying to like find a, an example to give you without like getting into too many examples that are considered confidential per se. Um, so when we record that memory, we record the memory, how we felt physically in our body and that's the muscle memory. And then we also record how we perceive ourselves, the world or others. Like, what do we think about other people? Are they safe? Is the world safe? Um, do I have to earn somebody's love? Am I lovable? Am I, um, worthy of something? Am I shameful? Like we record these beliefs on a very subconscious level. Like, it's not like you're going to be three years old and go, I'm unlovable after you experience some, you know, scolding because you broke your mom's favorite, um, decor. However, that subconscious definitely gets recorded that belief about yourself, the world or others. And it essentially like is a thesis. And as you continue to live life and you experience other events, it's almost like other events are either going to validate, justify, and prove this theory right or prove it wrong. And oftentimes we collect things, these memories, um, and the way that they get stored in our brain is our brain likes to store similar feeling events. So if you experience another event where the teacher scolds you in front of the class because you, you know, did something, I don't know, you did something in class and she got mad and she scolded you and it somehow feels the same as the time that your mom scolded you because you broke something and made you feel unlovable. Then it's like those get stored together because emotionally and like subconsciously they feel the same without you even being aware that they feel the same. So your brain connects, connects the dots, collects them. They call it the red thread in EMDR. So it's like imagining this piece of thread that gets looped into each of these memories. Um, and like similar memories are collected together. So when you experience these events, you develop, you know, you have the visual memory. So like the movie clip, the physical body sensation that you have with that memory. And you have these negative beliefs 
and um, your brain begins to unpack uh, or it when you experience the event, it's like a big old jumbled ball. And EMDR, you begin to unpack that and you begin to unravel and go to the most, um, you go to one of the memories, like what we call a target memory. And it's usually like as early as possible. That's not always going to be the case, but you know, the traditional way of doing it is going to that earliest memory possible. And you explore that memory, how you felt, what you thought about yourself and what you thought about the other, other people, whatever. Right. And then, um, process the entire experience, but you're reprocessing it with bilateral stimulation. Um, it's like overloading your brain so that you, your brain is forced to, um, store the memory differently. So you've got that going on with EMDR. Now let's put into, you know, consideration, like if you get a cancer diagnosis, well, yes, some people who have childhood, um, adverse experiences, that's going to come into play also, right? Um, what you believe about the world and others are like, bad things always happen to me. Um, that was something that my brother who passed away always said, bad things always happen to me, right? Um, and so you start to believe these things about yourself on a very subconscious level. And sometimes it becomes very conscious and very, like you become very aware of it. Um, so it's reprocessing it and figuring out why do you believe this? How does that feel in your body? Let's unpack it. Let's make it more digestible. Let's let it move from one, you know, where it's stuck in your brain and move it to the, to the backside of the brain. And in cancer, some of that is going to be related to our past, but then sometimes it's just, this is a really crappy situation. And I feel really unsafe. My body feels really unsafe. I feel alone. I'm on my own. Um, only I can handle this situation. I'm not in control, whatever, right? Like there are so many different beliefs that you can pick up from this and it's reprocessing that experience. Um, there's a different type of, uh, EMDR that's more based on ongoing traumatic stress. Uh, and so people with cancer or diagnosis or critical illnesses, when they experience trauma, you have cancer that's traumatic, but then you've got the ongoing stresses, continually doing scans or spinal taps. Um, if you have radiation or chemo or surgery amputations, how that continues to impact you in the present day and how that will impact you in the future. They're all very much continual, right? So it's not like, oh, I had cancer and now we can move on and process this because you're constantly being reminded at some point, some way or somehow that you had cancer. Um, especially, you know, when physically there's an impact, uh, or you have anxiety because you're constantly being reminded, like it could come back, it could come back. Uh, so EMDR helps essentially neutralize the emotions and the thoughts and, it helps take away that visceral response that it doesn't always, okay. The goal is to take away the visceral response. That's a better way to say it. Um, and to address those subconscious beliefs that are the reasons why we move throughout the world that way that we do, like they dictate how we process things and how we continue to um, live our life, 
I'm not going to do this because of that, or I'm responding to this experience because of this, or I'm not going to respond to this experience because of that. It's just the way that we subconsciously begin to move. Um, so EMDR, I have done that um, with a lot of my clients and it's just been so amazing. Um, I have worked with clients that have had upcoming surgeries and the amount of anxiety that they've had around that because they do have, you know, um, medical conditions going on, um, and having to face surgery, we've been able to use EMDR in a way that has made that surgery successful. Like they walk in feeling less anxious and less over the top, um, out of control with their emotion or just the experience and feeling okay. Like still maybe a little bit of fear that's normal. And that that's normal. We can't take that away because that's normal, but we're able to at least reduce it, minimize it to a very, you know, minimal anxiety level for the procedure, which is amazing. Um, so if you're curious about EMDR and how it could help you, there is individual EMDR. There are people who are trained for the more ongoing traumatic stress, but then there's also group EMDR, which is totally different than individual um, therapy and also different than um, support groups or group therapy. And so it. It's, I will go into group EMDR in a different episode. Um, but basically what you should know is just, it isn't your traditional, let's sit here and share our feelings in a kumbaya moment. It is much more individualistic and um, more private, um, as private as one can get in a group setting, but you're not sitting around sharing your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and um, all the things that give people anxiety about group therapy. But people in our situation that have been through um, trauma, we have a tendency to seek out other people who have experienced the same thing that we have for validation, for community, for connectedness, because trauma has a way of making our brain think and believe that we're alone. That's part of the response. And we tend to isolate ourselves from other people because it is such an a unique experience that your brain automatically makes you feel like nobody else knows what I'm going through. So in group EMDR, I do think that, you know, it is such a beneficial way to do therapy, especially if you don't have the funds to do individual EMDR, because it can get really pricey. Um, if you don't have insurance or, um, even if some people don't take insurance. Um, so, Group EMDR is something that would be a really good possibility for that, but there's different types of EMDR, basically to sum it up, there's individual, there's group, and it's really about um, understanding what those options are for you and exploring um, the possibilities for you to continue to heal from your traumatic experience. So that's a little bit about EMDR. I hope I touched base on that as much as possible um, and gave you some insight as to why I love it. Um, it is a game changer. Uh, it's not for everybody. So that was, that would be my disclaimer. It's not for everybody, but if you are interested, 
seeking someone who does EMDR therapy, um, a therapist that does EMDR therapy, she can still explore, he or she, they can explore trauma with you and never really get into the EMDR reprocessing part of it. So, but having someone that is trained, I feel like would be such a huge, you know, step because starting over with another therapist is really exhausting and nobody wants to start from the beginning again. It's like, oh, great. Here we go again. We're just going to have to talk about the exact same stuff and see if this even works out with this therapist. So if you have any questions about EMDR, if you've done EMDR and it's helped you, oh my gosh, please, please let me know because I love to hear success stories, especially in the childhood cancer world, cancer world, whatever, right? Like um, as for caregivers, if you've used EMDR and it's changed you, I want to know how it's changed you in a way that you didn't anticipate it changing you because it it's just a phenomenal therapy that people... Um, people aren't even aware of and the people who do use it, they just have such, um, some people have really amazing feedback and it also kind of depends on your therapist. So, um, but I, I digress, I digress when I go there. So I'd love to hear your feedback on it. And, um, I will come on for another episode to share with you a little bit about, EMDR in a group setting. And that one probably won't be as long, but I do think, um, I want to kind of dispel some myths about that and, uh, encourage people to, to pursue that as an option, especially when they've experienced things like a cancer diagnosis. So, uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. And as always, I hope to provide you with information that you can take and use for your own personal life and your own personal healing journey. And whatever questions that you might have, feel free to reach out to me. My um, Instagram, you can reach me through Instagram, the underscore Adriana underscore Lewin. Um, for childhood cancer community, you can follow me at, fam, uh, at family underscore chemotherapy. Yes, family chemotherapy, basically. And um, the same things for, for Facebook, family chemotherapy and the Adriana Lewin. And I look forward to hearing from you. And I'm just so glad to be able to provide whatever resources and knowledge that I can share with you. Have a great day. If you have found this podcast helpful or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content from Family Chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.